All right. Well, welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Backcountry podcast. These Monday Minute episodes are meant to be shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. That's what we're going to do today. Steve, how are you, man? Good. Yeah, real good. Post Father's Day. Father's Day was awesome. Yeah, just had uh, hung out with the family uh, really just all weekend. Um, since, yeah, I was doing some soft house with my four-year-old out in the yard. Uh hitting the baseball <laughs> he's a freaking like for being just barely four dude he's it's pretty impressive <laughs> like it's yeah. uh some serious hand-eye coordination there you've tossed it softly but he didn't return it all that softly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he like they're freaking like line drive after line drive dude it blows me away that's fun other than that it was a good weekend how about you yeah it was good man just uh yeah family stuff and house stuff and um just such a busy time of year. And uh, yeah, I was just like, it's one of those, it's like, oh man, it's June. It's getting real. You know, there's like 60 something days from my first hunt and it's just, everything's coming quick. So it's going to be a wild ride to summer. Um, But yeah, it's exciting times, man. All right. Well, before Steve, we dive into some listener Q and a, which we'll get to shortly. On Friday, we had some new K4 products get released, and we hadn't uh, talked about that on the podcast. So just wanted to mention it, make sure everybody kind of knew we had some new items available if they didn't see an email or some sort of announcement online otherwise. Um, what happened, man? What what? I, I will use this word intentionally because it is a pet peeve of yours. What did we drop on Friday? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah game changing products, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we did the uh, the twenty two hundred bag, so that was been in process for a while, and we uh, yeah knew kind of told everybody that would be coming this summer, so we got that out and ready. And it, uh, I'm really happy with how the design turned out on that. You know, it's it's intentionally a very simple, small, streamlined bag that uh, I added. Basically, took our the eighteen hundred bag we had from k3 made some changes to it uh, the the probably the most significant one was extending the zipper the main horseshoe zipper kind of now wraps up over the top of the bag and that gave me some room to put in which kind of called it's a pocket a built-in lid up there and then i sized it um, specifically that 15 by 56 binos could fit on top of that so that uh, you know when you're out on those certain hunts where you're packing those binos for long range glassing off the tripod you, they're just got a nice pocket dedicated for them and then obviously it's big enough for headlamps and food and things like that if you're not using it for the binos yeah and i yeah, just made some little refinements to it and really happy with how it turned it out you know i think a common request for the 1800 was wanting just a little bit more capacity and so i bumped it up to 2200 but at the same time you know you from a macro perspective looking at that bag it's it's the whole goal of its small and streamlined right like if you're well, i think i posted on rock slide some pictures of prototype bags a month or two ago and you start everyone starts throwing in their opinion on what they want like oh, i want this pocket and that pocket and this size and that size and it's like you pretty quickly go well, like well just buy the 3600 because that's basically what you're asking for yeah uh, you want to you know it's got to be very purpose driven and keeping it small and streamlined was was uh you know obviously its main objective so that turned out great we launched the crib which it's been ready since 
January, we just, we, the G hooks, the metal G hooks that we make for it, we have those made locally. And we, you know, frankly, on our end, just kind of dropped the ball and our, our machine shop that makes those just got backlogged and it took a while to get up enough, get enough built up so that we had significant inventory to launch to where we didn't just sell out of them right away. So we got those up. The, the crib's cool for the guys who really want to customize and kind of play with their own configurations where, because it's just, I filled the entire thing up with the laser cut Molly slits in there. And you can now throw our hip belt pouches on there. You could throw an algae on there. I'll have some other bags, like kind of envisioning a, something that'll fit like a full water bladder really well. That'll be able to attach to that. You can run the lid off the top of it. So if you're trying to, I really see like shed hunters taking advantage of this the you know guys who want to do a super light i think even boschman's for the death height coming up is going to run run one where he's just going to run just a crib and then a super light dry bag on there so you essentially have you know your frame at two pounds 15 ounces and then another maybe eight ounces of crib and and dry bag combined so you have this super light three and a half pound kind of you know bag basically it'd be pretty cool Mm -hmm. And then we did the Enreach Mini Holder and that launched as well. So those three products, the Toy 200 Crib and Enreach Mini. And that's, uh, I didn't know what to expect with that because it is a niche product. I, I, through SNS Archery, we sell those Enreach Minis and we we do sell a lot of them. But I just didn't know as a from a general hunting population, even though we you know, have no ties to Garmin at all. But we push the crap out of that product because I think it's a, an amazing technology and a piece of equipment to have in your pack as far as life-saving and communicating with loved ones and you know all the good things that the inreach does and uh, yeah we launched that on friday and dang near sold through everything we had built it, that kind of blew me away so that's uh that was exciting and it's just a simple product that built a pouch for it. you know carrying your inreach mini was just i always try to if i'm designing something it's got to be to solve an actual problem i'm not like creating a problem out of thin air that doesn't actually exist trying to solve it right like i think a lot of products or designers are guilty of that but carrying the inreach mini was always you know or any inreach it's always like well where do you put this do you kind of put it in the lid of the pack and it's flopping around and if you need to get to it you got to go dig it out of there do you put it on your bino harness and for years i've just kind of carabiner clipped it on there and it kind of dangles and it's in the way and once we uh once i put that uh, molly panel on the harness on each side of the harness it was just such a natural place like this would be a perfect spot to build a pouch that the energy mini just slides right in and it you know it functions really well it's simple and i think the the pouch weighs like 1.3 ounces it's basically non-existent uh, so yeah really excited about that product and we'll see how many of those we sell because I, I said I, I didn't expect a lot just thinking you know maybe it's five percent of the people who buy our packs on an inreach mini but so far, uh, my uh, I had some false logic there, false reasoning, whatever you call it. Like, yeah, we sold a pile of them. <laughs> it was. It's uh, when we were at show season, it got so much attention, and it's such a little item. But people who weren't even familiar with our packs would just like be walking by the booth, not knowing necessarily anything about us, and this tiny little inReach mini holder, which has catch so much attention. So it's certainly, yeah. yeah, guys are excited about it. And then, yeah, that's, that's what we launched. And then we have 
I'll have the rifle carrier, which the buckles, that was been the holdup on that. They just finally showed up. And then we'll have orange lids and hopefully some new t-shirt designs. So that'll be those kind of three things will be mid-July is the plan right now. We just said we just got the buckles, get them in production, take a month of us, you know, building up a good amount of inventory and then get them launched in July for, you know, in time for people who have, you know, maybe early August rifle hunts, things like that. Yeah. And that's pretty much going to take us through anything new for K4, at least, a, you know, for this fall for the hunting season, right? Like you yeah. said, we got some ideas yeah. for other things and uh, more in the future. But in terms of this year, um, yeah, with this recent release and then what you just mentioned with rifle carrier, blaze lids and all that coming, that'll take us through the year. So that's what things are looking like on our end. Been really busy with all that. Um, just to keep guys up to date on timeline, everything, we're still cruising. Team has been crushing it in terms of fulfillment and production. So orders are essentially one to two business days. We did bump it up for the new 2200. If you purchase a full pack system, it may be three to five. Um, we may have to push to three to five on some of these accessories to see how this week goes, but essentially in stock on everything across the board. So if you guys are looking to get something soon, get out and get training, especially now with the crib, that's one of the big benefits there is you, it's just a great preseason training tool. So, um, yeah, if you guys are in the market, it's good, good time to get something to you quick. Um, if you did miss those announcements, it's probably because you didn't get our emails. <laughs> and just to mention that we are doing that giveaway with SIG this month through the podcast. Uh, we've mentioned that a few times, but it's ongoing for this whole month. So the SIG Zulu six image stabilizing binos, just for you guys in the podcast, get a chance to win. You can go sign up with your email. And that's how you get entered. So again, that's just at uh, exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and the entry form is right there. And then speaking of exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, a question came through recently. Um, I'll just read it. This guy said, first and foremost, this is argu arguably one of the greatest podcasts I've listened to. So thank you. The interviews, information, gear lists, and stories are super helpful. He said, however, I believe some of the best episodes are now dropping off of the podcast feed. For example, when I went to check for episode number nine, the Alaskan moose hunt, because he was trying to tell a friend about it, he couldn't go back and find that episode in Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. So he's basically saying that he can't find all of the episodes and in particular, some of the old episodes, which is true in certain podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, they basically limit us to the number of podcasts that we can have listed. Nothing we can do about it. That's just kind of a cap that they have. So essentially, since we've been doing this podcast since 2015, and we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, some of those older ones are dropping off in certain podcast platforms. So the reason I bring that up is, if you go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, you can get everything, no matter when it was published, whether it's episode one or any of the others. There's a search function there. Um, and then you can also browse by like keyword. So this guy, as an example, was looking for episode number nine about the terrible Alaskan moose hunt and couldn't find it in Apple Podcast. If you just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, search for moose 
it's going to come right up. So if you guys are know of an old episode you're looking for, or you just want to browse and be like, hey, what have they covered on moose hunting or uh, reloading or broadheads or what have you? It's just a good landing page to go browse by topic or search by keyword and make sure you see everything. So Steve, how about that moose hunt though, right? <laughs> That's funny. I haven't thought, thought of that hunt in quite a while, but holy crap. That was a combination of a terrible hunt matching up with really high expectations, right? So that made it even it's like first trip to Alaska, just, you know, excited beyond all get out. And then like everything came crashing down as well as just a terrible I'd love, I would love to like, my, you know, my, min, my perspective, my mental attitude has changed dramatically since then. I would love to go back and, you know, redo that hunt. Cause I think I'd have a completely different experience. And the only thing that's different is my attitude. Right. All right. Now I want you to elaborate. Like why? Like the conditions are the yeah. same. Right. Right. Um, well, I'll say this going into it, I would have much lower expectations. So we were, you know, it was the first time we'd ever done any type of hunt that wasn't just over the counter drive hiking on a trailhead. Then because the service was crap, Frank, like just crap. We were essentially, you know, it's an air service. They drop you off for a moose hunt. They're shuttling in hunters as fast as they can. They could care less about your personal experience for them. It was just about, a numbers game of oh yeah we can do this and that and they you know they overbook you know they have you know so many flights they can get out per day right the amount of groups of hunters they can get out and they overbook the crap out of it to where if there's a single delay there's this ca- cascading domino effect that just every other hunter is now delayed so that's you know knowing that and knowing like you know a i would never book with them again uh, and i know to search out for people that are smaller operations but then the hunt itself, once we got out there, I just think my, I've just, you know, I don't know. I've just, that's 2014, you know, coming up 10 years ago and my mental attitude about life and dealing with adversities is just, it's completely changed. I've, I want to say I'm a different person, but I've definitely just, you know, I think part of that maybe is being a father now, right? Like I'm just... I know when I'm out there in the field that I need to appreciate every minute and I, and I really have come to appreciate and be able to step like when things suck, I can take my, take my mind out of the moment and, you know, kind of like sit back and appreciate like, you know what, this may suck at this moment, but hunting is what I love to do. This is challenging, but I like to be challenged. You know, there's so many aspects of that now that, I would just step back and be like, you know what? Instead of this sucking, this is freaking amazing, right? We've talked about this in the past on episodes, like, you know, have that appreciation for just how lucky we are to be doing what we're doing and not be like, oh, this sucks. I wish I was somewhere else. I'm stuck under this tent. You know, it's pouring rain for three days. Uh, We were wading in knee deep muck water for freaking the entire duration of the hunt. And it had a lot of challenges, but again, my, my mental attitude now is just is completely different. Well, that was, again, episode nine. I'll leave a link to it if you guys haven't heard that. It's called An Awesome, Horrible Alaskan Adventure. 
uh, it's probably a terrible podcast too. Because also, right when we started podcasting, we had no idea what we we're doing. So <laughs> be you want to hear? Go back and listen. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, if you want to hear a terrible podcast about a terrible hunt that was also entertaining, go listen to episode number nine. All right. Next question came through um, the email, and this guy wrote in and said that he has seen some new filter and water storage options from Hydra Pack, and was wondering if we had mm-hmm. tried any of them. And we actually just recently talked about this on episode, uh, it was Monday Minute 178. Um, to answer that question, the Hydra Pack bladders or different containers, vessels, they offer quite a few. Um, I've been using those for years. They make bladders and standalone stuff and bottles and all kinds of stuff. And they've been fantastic. Um, and actually the Caden Be Free, their uh their bottle, their soft bottle that comes with the filter is actually made by Hydropack. Um, but anyway, I've always had a good impression of Hydropack stuff. And then this year they did come out with a new filter. Uh, and again, we talked about that semi-recently in episode 178 of the Monday Minute. But long story short, yes, uh, I really, really like their stuff. Impressed with the filter so far. I plan to keep testing it, getting a better feel for longevity, uh, performance, you know, over time, et cetera. But um, absolutely love their stuff and plan to primarily run that this year and see how it goes. Yeah, that uh, seems to be good. The filter, I don't know if it's going to be quite as good as a bee free, but they're all the Sawyer squeeze, the platypus. Uh, what's the quick draw? Yes, platypus quick yeah, draw. They're all they're all going to be on the same level. I think just some have the the bee free has been the one that's the most impressive to me as far as flow rate and maintaining that and be able to clean it out easy like a sawyer don't ever buy a sawyer mini that thing has a <laughs> starts with a crap flow rate and then it claw like because the filter itself is small and you're still filtering the same amount of water you know dirty water that uh, it clogs really quick and becomes absolutely miserable so get the original sawyer the be free that quick drop platypus and then this uh yeah 2b tbd on the on the hydro pack one i think it so far so good yeah it's uh there was actually this came up recently when you mentioned how bad the sawyer squeeze mini in particular was because there was a guy recently emailed saying he tried the sawyer squeeze because of how much he heard us talk about it on the podcast and he was referencing some older episodes and as I was reading this email, I'm like, he had to have gotten the mini version, like yeah. just reading his email. And so I asked him, I was like, well, there's three Sawyer squeezes. I think you probably tried the mini and he confirmed that he did. But so there's the original, a mini and a micro. And this may sound backwards, but the micro is actually better than the mini even. Um, but long story short, do not buy the mini period. Or Yeah. Even the micro, just get the original. Yeah. It's a, yeah. A, going back to what I just said a few minutes ago about designers like trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist like the the difference between a mini a micro and an original is essentially non-existent right like mm-hmm. the, they're yeah it's completely silly that you're talking three quarters of an ounce or something like that between a mini and a original and mm-hmm. the performance difference is black and white night and day a lot easier to market like weight savings and compact profile and not talk about the fact that the performance is degraded though. I'm not like throwing shade at Sawyer, but that's <laughs> you yeah, just see that right. a lot from companies, right? It's like, ooh, there's something new and there's something to talk about. But yeah, it yeah. actually comes at a cost. 
significant um, cost. Yeah. yeah. This question just came up, Steve, and I'm, this is nothing. Uh, I like when questions come up that a lot of times I know what your answer is, or it's something you and I have talked about or shared experience with, or, you know, I just kind of know, like, here's what I would say to this. Here's what Steve would say to this, whatever. But when questions come up and I'm like, oh, actually, I've never talked with Steve about that, or it's never come up. This is one of those questions. And maybe it's a boring answer, but this guy wrote in and said, I was hoping you guys could talk about battery saving strategies while using phones for mapping, navigation, video recording, digiscoping, in-reach communications, etc. I can barely get my phone to last the whole day with quote unquote normal use. He packs a 10,000 milliamp battery pack. And he says, that only gets me so far with multiple devices over several days. What suggestions do you have? And thanks for your insights. So Steve, we've talked about packing a battery pack and et cetera. But in terms of like strategies, how you use it, what type of life you get, anything you do intentionally to save battery. Um, I don't know that we've ever talked about that. So do you do anything hmm. specific? It's important to start out with a fully charged phone. So if I'm you know, driving from Boise up to go hunting, I'm making sure that my phone's plugged in. Then the second I'm out of service, I'm putting it into airplane mode and then also in a battery saver mode, which shuts down a lot of the background apps that are running in there that are, you know, that you don't need. So those two things, airplane, and this is on an iPhone and I, back when I was running a Samsung, I think it was the same deal. So yeah, airplane mode plus battery saver mode. And that's it. The, if his phone's dying on the first day, I mean, he may, there's a chance he may be in airplane mode and s something like that. My guess is he needs a new phone. The battery's probably just shot in it because mm -hmm. you should certainly, I don't know, any phone that isn't going to last three to four days unless, I mean, he, if he's digiscoping, if he's doing a, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of like video per day. Okay. That might start chewing up through some stuff, but if you're just, you know, you're glassing all day and you, you sh shoot a, you know, just a couple minutes of video, then that shouldn't be an issue at all. So my guess is the if he's only getting a day, the battery's just shot so long as he's already putting into airplane mode and battery saver mode. Mm -hmm. And then that's, a, I mean, I do those two things. And then if it's, cold so below i just say below freezing i just throw make sure my phone is in my pocket uh and like whatever usually i'll sleep in you know if i'm sleeping in my pants i can put it in my pants pocket it's kind of annoying because if you roll on it's kind of you know it could be digging into you or put it if I, if it's cold enough if it's cold i guess yeah if it's cold enough that i'm worried about it then i'm typically sleeping in like my light a puffy jacket and then i just put it in a pocket of that puffy jacket the chest pocket works great or even the the hand pockets and then that way it's next to my body and keeping warm all night because the cold will zap the battery a little bit if it's kind of marginally cold or i don't have to deal with it like on my body all night then i'll just make sure i just slow, throw it inside of my sleeping bag or not my sleeping bag my backpack like just so it's not you know it's not just like in a little mesh pocket in the tent where it's just cold air 360 all around it right where it's mm -hmm. really going to affect it the most. And that's that's it. But I with a I use their um it's called Nighthawk. It's a 10,000 milliamp battery pack that's so the 
according to their marketing, but to the best of my verification, is the lightest 10,000 milliamp battery pack in the world. Um, it's uh, I think it's like five ounces, five and a quarter ounces, pretty stinking light. And with that, with a fully charged cell phone and my battery pack, I mean, you usually easily get a week-long hunt. I have to recharge the phone maybe one times, one and a half times. I, I am mindful with my in-reach. I don't just, if it's a long hunt, it's turned off 99% of the time. I'll just turn it on, you know, when I want to message, message my wife or whatever, check in on things, but then I turn it back off. So I'm saving battery life there. And then that's all that I use. I, I've messed with some headlamps that require recharging, but at the end of the day, I just never, I don't, I don't know. I just haven't found one that I really liked. So I just, you know, make sure I start off on a long hunt. I've got brand new AAAs in the headlamp and three extra spare ones in my, um, my kit. And that's it. Yeah. Much of the same for me. Um, I think you said like, it's important to put it in airplane mode, but also whether it's like a battery saver mode or just look at the other details. Cause like right now, if I just pull out my phone and hit airplane mode, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are still on. And, you know, even just having Wi-Fi on, obviously if you're in the backcountry, it's not going to connect, but it is trying to look for networks when it's enabled. Um, so mm-hmm. airplane mode, Wi-Fi off, and then I'll often turn Bluetooth off if I know I'm not going to be using my inReach for a while. Cause like you, Steve, it kind of on most hunts, I just try and have it on like once in the morning or once in the evening, you know, just kind of like to check in with my wife or something like that. Um, so if I know I'm going most of the day and not even using my inReach, one, my inReach is off. And then two, I'll just turn Bluetooth off on my phone completely as well. So if you're in airplane mode, Wi-Fi off, Bluetooth off, yeah, your phone should be lasting quite a long time. Um, I'm really only using, you know, aside from a couple times to send an inReach message. I'm really using my phone for usually just some photos and then Onyx. And then even with Onyx, I just think you know, guys start with, uh, it, it kind of goes back to pack your fears. Like people want familiarity and they want security, especially if they're in a new area. And so guys just may be in Onyx, like looking at maps or like checking their location or direction way more than they need to. And sometimes it's just like, put your phone on and pick your head up. Like you probably don't necessarily need Onyx to navigate as much as you think you do, right? Like just by using basic reference points. And obviously this depends on the terrain you're in and what type of cover it has and what you can see. But um, I would venture to guess that a lot of guys rely on Onyx more than they need to, just in terms of like, hiking around, hunting, covering ground, making a plan, and then how they cover that country. Um, just don't feel like you need to, say you map out a route or a loop in Onyx, like don't be obsessed with staying on that route. Like just do the general route, right? <laughs> like you don't need to follow a waypoint in particular, or maybe you've gone as far as to like draw, actually draw out a route in Onyx. Like don't feel like you need to just look at your phone and follow that line. Just pick your head up and hunt. Um, so I just, yeah, I would, I would be curious about how many guys are using more battery life simply because they're relying on the phone more than they need to and just put that mm. sucker down and get the hunting. <laughs> That'll help your battery life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
one thing on onyx i think we were talking about this the other day the the uh, they had what it's called compass mode when we were talking about that where it draws the yep. line for you yeah yep. that is badass and it was mm-hmm. they made it now in the tools like because i was complaining like where the hell did this go there's a cool feature that uh, one of the guys that works for onyx dylan showed me at portland sportsman show and it's freaking incredible and it's i mean it's the way you could use that tool that's cheating <laughs> if you <laughs> if you spot an animal across you know why i would say the the most common scenario that i would see is would have been like high country um mule deer hunting early archery where it's just incredibly common to glass an animal across the canyon and then you know as a bow hunting you got to drop out of sight and spend four hours and sneak above it you could literally just hold that compass there and and if you have a range finder range match it up and you could get the you could drop a pin exactly where that animal is sitting and then loop around and know because that was it's like once you go out of sight you're all your perspective changes and everything looks different and you get to the other side you're like how oh, was the deer under that tree or that tree or that bush and uh that that tool's pretty freaking cool i used it uh, just the other day i was up in the mountains and i was standing uh, i was going camping with the family and there you know uh, i killed an elk this was just last year with cody we killed him a bull cody Kellum from born and raised and i was like where was that actually you know like i, cause I was looking up at the mountain and, and i was able to pull that out and just lined it up with compass mode and okay it was right there you know it was two miles away but i could see the exact general the well exactly the direction that it was and get a different perspective of the country it was pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah cool feature off a little tangent there but you mentioned onyx and we were talking about that so it is under tools and compass mode uh pretty dang cool yeah no i was just actually talking with one of the guys from onyx last week and he was giving me kind of a tell me about some features they have coming out, some improvements they have coming out. And I told him, I was like, I I have used Onyx for such a long time, but I don't feel like I've stayed up to date with it as well as I could. Or I just get, you know, like, hey, this is the way I use Onyx. It's what I'm used to, but I'm probably missing yeah. like other ways that I could use it more effectively. And uh, between that my lack of awareness for what already is there, how I could use it better. Plus the new stuff they have coming. Um, I actually talked to him about like, let's get on a call, like show, show me how to use this and maybe <laughs> some of the things I'm missing. And then uh, I would want to do that with them. And then after that, probably do a podcast with them and like talk about, you know, them, right. like their expertise, what they have new, but also like what I learned from like, Oh yeah. Um, some of my takeaways. So that'd be fun to do this summer for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's wrap up with this one. Uh, Steve, this question came through. Um, the short version is, do you ever use the dry bag? <laughs> he went on to say, I know EXO offers the dry bag accessory full for a fully waterproof pack, but I rarely see any of you using it in the videos online. My biggest concern is my down quilt. I like to stuff it into the bag and fill all the crevices like you guys do, but how do you keep it dry in wet weather without the dry bag? Is the K4 more water resistant than the K3? I always enjoy the podcast with the information and experience you guys provide. So thank you. Um, yeah, good question. I, you know, um, in Idaho or a lot of lower 48 stuff may not be packing it. Um, oftentimes, like, you know, in Alaska or something like that, I would be packing it. And then sometimes, you know, I may be using it, but 
like he mentioned videos online, which on one hand, we don't have very many videos, but even take like my recent goat hunting film, for example, I was using it the entire time on that trip, uh, but you may not see it, right? So it is obviously internal and just based on the way you use your pack, you know, you can top load into the dry bag, but even like, I can't think of a specific shot on the goat film, for example, but let's say there's a shot and I reach in through the zippered main bag on that hunt, I was using the K4 5000. I reach into the zippered compartment of the 5000 and pull out my jet boil, for example. You may assume I'm not using the dry bag because I just pulled something out through the zipper compartment and not the roll top. But that's one thing that gets overlooked with the dry bag is you can kind of segment and have some items such as the quilt and clothes within the dry bag and then other items not within the dry bag that you can then access through the zipper. Um, so yeah, that's just one thing to keep in mind there. But uh, any other, what, what's your take on that, Steve? Like, when do you use it? He also asked, is the K4 more water resistant than the K3, which is kind of a separate topic, but let's hit that as well. Yes. As far as when I use it, it's it, he's correct in that it's it's really rare. Every time I go to Alaska, pretty much using it. On well, my sheep hunt last year, I was absolutely using it. In Idaho, I can't think of a time I've packed it in the last five years what would it take for you to pack it a lot of rain in the forecast (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess for me because i live here if it's like oh the weather's gonna be crap like say i'm going in you know obviously i'm flexible with my work uh, if you know the weather's crap for the next two days or it's just gonna just dump rain and then it clears up. I just hold off for a couple of days and go up. So certainly a different scenario for, you know, like when you just came out for the bear hunt, like these are our dates and we got to work within them. But even then, yeah, it's, it's got to take going. It's, you know, the question's tied with is K4 more waterproof than K3 or water resistant? Um, no, uh, but it's got to, as a general rule, it's just got to take a significant amount of moisture to, for that actually to affect the contents of the inside of the of the pack right like it was just calling for we're going in for a week long or a you know a four three night four day hunt and on the second day it's saying oh there's a 70 percent chance of showers for you know from 8 a.m to noon i got but a dry bag is the last thing on my mind like oh just through experience i know that's not going to be an issue if it was calling for rain every single day then it starts like, okay, I'd probably throw the dry bag in, right? Um, but I, I understand, you know, that so that topic of packing your fears just always comes back up. Well, what of the worst case scenario of, you know, that this happens and I don't want I don't want my sleeping bag wet. I get it. It just through experience and through always trying to keep my pack as lightweight as possible, I'm willing to take those risks just because I know so essentially I've never ever had it happen and 15 plus years of backpacking where my sleeping bag got wet enough to where I had a cold night. It's just not happened. Yeah. I guess I'm mindful of it. Uh, yeah. As far as is K4 more waterproof than K3? No, we kind of talked about this in some of those uh, early design episodes. We ordered when I was talking through K4 design, I really set out with a goal to build a more water resistant version and through all the testing I did, the results just it didn't exist. Like built, uh, I, actually, you you guys had it on the hunt. We built a K four five thousand out did, of one hundred percent waterproof X pack material. 
the actual performance in the field is not there. Like the because and it's all because of the seams. This I did a lot of waterproof testing. I built all these bags, little mini kind of roll top dry bags with different fabrics and different seam constructions. At the end of the day, and I would just put them in my shower and test them. At the end of the day, the difference between A version and Z version, because there was literally, you know, 20 some odd different versions that I sewed up, everything was negligible to where it just didn't matter. The I'm still working on the future of like finding the perfect combination and to build a pack with uh, traditional construction methods of you know, basically stitching without welded seams. I think there's a way I can do it in which you go after the fact and, and kind of paint on a seam sealer on the inside of it to where you could get something that is much, much more water resistant, never going to be waterproof. At the end of the day, if it's like, if there's that much moisture, I just want a freaking dry bag with me because then it's guaranteed. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's just kind of this this fine line that's like, okay, this, what we have now works 99% of the time. And then if you get X amount of moisture, then, uh, then you need to drive back no matter what. So it's kind of, it's like chasing a pro like solving a problem that at the end of the day may not even be worth all the effort and, you know, additional probably get, well, definitely guaranteed costs in associated with sewing it in a different method that, the result is like, well, it's still crap outside weather. So I'm packing a dry bag anyways. It's kind of where I, I think it's going. I'm going to continue to experiment and push and try things out. But I just see that as being the end result. Yep. Uh, and then, I don't know. It, it's it's funny because I'll talk to, I could go off on a tangent for hours on waterproofness and rain. And it's like you talk to the guys who actually hunt truly wet country coastal stuff alaska stuff and they understand you need dry bags like like there's guys like oh i want a more waterproof fabric around this or that like it everything just gets soaking wet anyways right like uh they don't you know even guys will talk about cordura like wetting through and they want a rain cover for that and like whatever your rain cover is going to weigh three to seven ounces of completely soaking wet pack or the, the moisture that's actually being held in to the fabric from it, absorbing it is like three to seven ounces, right? Like they're, they're packing this extra weight to avoid packing extra weight. That is going to be there. Like they're packing that extra weight the entire time to avoid partially packing some of that extra weight when it does get that wet. We just had that on your bear hunt where the, our packs got pretty dang wet. It rained that morning, you know, that the outside of them was wet and then the sun came out and it, with that 500D Cordura within an hour of good sunlight, everything was dry again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's like you're <laughs> going back to the design thing for the second time. It's like you're ch- chasing solutions to problems that don't really exist. Um, mm-hmm. You're finding solutions that just create more problems mm-hmm. rather than just dealing with okay, the fabric gets wet every once in a while and sun's going to come out and dries it out and we move on with our lives. Yeah, I think that bear hunt, just because it's a recent example, is a situation where some guys would have been nervous, like, oh, I think I need a dry bag or a rain cover or what have you for the conditions that we encountered when in all reality is like, well, 
uh, we, we only know this because of experience, but it's like one, yes, the pack is going to get a little bit wet externally, but it's not going to be enough to have any issues with gear internally. And then two, that pack is going to dry out like no problem. But again, that is, we were in there for three and a half days. That's a different story than going to Alaska for 10, 12 days. So you just have to like yeah. look at the context and look at the consequences and then weigh everything out. But you either do need actual true waterproof protection or you don't. And everything in the mm-hmm. middle is compromised. And that's the problem with, well, it's one of the problems with um, rain covers is it's not a true solution. It's not waterproof, um, not to mention noise and access and all kinds of other issues. But yeah, it's, it's, you either need it or you don't. Uh, and when you need it, you really, really need it. Also, one thing I'll say too is I know I've been, I don't think I've ever, maybe I've done this once. I didn't have a dry bag with me. It didn't have rain forecasted. Significant rain happened. I just stopped and took uh, took my sleeping bag, wrapped it up inside of my tent fly, and then put it back inside the pack. Right. So then my sleeping bag yep. was now wrapped in completely waterproof fabric. Any like basically very minimal chance that anything would actually get wet. And then when I you know at the end of the day I went to set up camp and you know there's a little bit of water on my tent fly not enough that it probably would have even really affected the sleeping bag any significant way but that was i always have that as a backup plan so just just because i don't have a dry bag you always got to remember that there are you know you can be creative and there are ways to keep things you know um, dry or just find solutions to problems when you're out there in the field don't get stuck uh, just with like one way of thinking yeah carry a contractor bag just kind of keep one in your kit if you want and that can be a pack liner i mean it can be a million things it could be a ground sheet it could be something to put meat on it could be yeah all kinds of things um yeah but yeah that could be a pack liner as well cool well that's uh that's a wrap on this one guys as always we appreciate the questions the interaction um you can always email us podcasts at xomontgear.com look for the link in the show description if you want to leave an audio message and ask us a question as well Um, but yeah, going back to kind of beginning of this episode, it's kind of a, holy crap, it's June. It's very soon going to be July. It's very soon going to be hunting season. So any questions you have as you head into your hunts this year, let us know. We'd love to chat through them on future episodes. And of course we have a ton of great full length episodes with guests outlined and some new series coming for the summer that I'm really excited with sharing. So if you haven't yet hit subscribe in your podcast app so that you receive those future episodes automatically and we'll talk to you soon.